The podcast gods have heard your cries for pettiness. If last week's topics were too serious, your prayers have been answered. Elon Musk and Nick Cannon had the nerve to bond over their reckless DNA. A twerking state senator had the audacity to not only show her ass, but then get in a Twitter war with their critics. And Macy Gray had the unmitigated gall to say that women are different from trans women. Let's do it. So what's this podcast about? Somebody gotta keep it real, okay. you know. Reclaiming my time. By winning. Keep my wife's name. Catch me outside, how about that? You talking to unabashed hater. My style is impetuous. King Kong ain't got You come in with some nice waves of the black screen. You're average looking at best. I took offense to that. Robert. You ain't got the answer, Sway. I have, you bitch. You now have the unmitigated gall. Thank you for joining the Unmitigated Gall, the podcast for media junkies and insiders by media junkies and insiders, a FUBU, if you will. Uh, I am one half <laughs> of this hosting duo, Eric Goldson, with me. She goes by one name, two football teams. Hey, Chevalerie. Hey, Eric. Two football teams? Which two football teams? There's only one football team, America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. That's it. You say that, but I notice you're you're pretty well read on the Falcons. I, I see you. I mean, uh, you keep, have to be keep up with Falcons here, headlines. I've lived here for almost twenty years, and you can't not help support, uh, you know, the home team. Um, but there is only one team that is true to my heart, and it is the five-time Super Bowl champion, Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> mm. We probably just lost some viewers, but that's okay. <laughs> mm. Well, you said help support. So to me, if you're helping and supporting a team, that's one of your teams. But maybe, maybe. I mean, I feel like I have to since you, you know, you dumped them essentially. I did dump them. Speaking of helping and support, a remind, a reminder rather to like and subscribe go. to our pages. We are on social media across the major platforms. To listen, uh, you can listen on YouTube, listen slash watch, and you can listen on Spotify. Shivali, we're considering uh, getting on other platforms, right? Uh, possibly. I'm still I'm still learning the whole, the TikTok. I'm learning <laughs> what TikTok. these kids are doing. Exactly, exactly. I think we may add a TikTok. Um, I can't do Snapchat. I, I just don't even understand it. I don't even know if anyone still uses it, but Twitter, Instagram, we're all and, there. Not so much the social media, but, you know, other platforms like uh, Google Podcasts, um, Apple. Yes. So yes. that may be people, coming people have asked right now. Spotify, right now, Spotify and YouTube. YouTube. And you heard at the top of the show, we're going to be talking about Elon Musk, Nick Cannon, and their vast array of children. <laughs> we'll be talking about uh, the twerking state senator out of Rhode Island. And um, how she is basically apoplexed that people did not think that was a good idea. And uh, we are, what was that third one, Chevalier? Macy, Macy Gray. Macy, oh my goodness, Macy Gray. How could you forget? How could I? <laughs> how could I? Um, 
But yeah, and also stay tuned. We have a, a great feature interview coming up later in the show yes. with Ebony Griffin, a senior producer for Good Morning America, Robin Roberts, main producer. So you do not want to miss that. But And a great um, friend to both of us. A great friend of the show. But let's let's start with uh, so we're not as classy. Uh, Nick Cannon and uh, Elon Musk. Yes, in their quest to uh, to populate the Earth themselves, <laughs> which is what they said. That right, right. So this all started because um, <clears throat> Elon Musk actually put out a tweet, um, and I I wrote it down. He said, "Doing my best to help the underpopulation crisis. A collapsing birth rate is the biggest danger crisis." I can't read my own handwriting. Civilization faces by far. Um, I, I don't know that I agree that that's the biggest crisis, but okay. Um, he tweeted that, and then Nick Cannon said, "Right there with you, my brother." <laughs> of Which course. of course just always, you know, causes a firestorm anytime Nick Cannon pretty much does anything. But the reason why this, I guess, is so significant is because the, between the two of them, um, I actually thought they each had nine. Um, Elon Musk actually has 10, um, nine living children uh, by three different women. Um, he's also got quite a few, um, like twins, uh, two sets of twins and one set of, of triplets, uh, which is very uh, interesting. Um, and he has one child that uh, died at uh, 10 weeks old and, and is now deceased. Nick Cannon, the number's unclear. Let's just put it that way. Um, one, seven, seven total, one deceased, possibly two on the way, uh, with five, five different women. Um, and so you and I were talking about it and, um, you know, I just, I, I, I sort of take issue with, uh, with the two of them and their, in their quest to, uh, I mean, is earth in some type of crisis of being underpopulated? <laughs> it's like billions of people on the planet. I don't know. I love how you laid out the children, or you attempted to lay out the children, and apparently the New York Times struggled with it too. Their headline was how many children does Elon Musk have? Exactly. So I, and I looked it up too. I, Nick fathered seven, soon to be eight. Elon Musk fathered ten. But like you said, we don't truly know. Um, but yeah, and no, I don't feel like um, I feel like they're, Elon's deflecting a little bit. Uh, you know, with Deflecting from what? Well, deflecting from the revelation that he uh, sired two secret children with one of his top executives mm -hmm. um, by saying that, you know, the Earth's civilization's biggest crisis is uh, dwindling uh, population, which no, world got too many people. You can see that every day when you get out here and drive and rush hour traffic. It's, it's too yeah, many folks. Especially out in here. Atlanta. <laughs> right. We fool. So... <laughs> No, I mean, he's wrong about that. But I mean, do you feel you the other day said um, that this bothered you from like a fatherhood uh, perspective? Uh, why? 100%. Before I retort. Okay. Um, the reason why is because despite having, you know, Elon Musk is a um, is a billionaire. I can't remember if, if it's him or um, <clears throat> Bill Gates, who is who is the richest man at the moment. Um, and Nick Cannon is extremely successful, has a lot of money. Um, I, I don't think that you can be a good father and have children just sort of scattered across the United States and, and, and possibly for Elon Musk scattered across the globe. Um, I think I've always said this, that your presence 
is more important than presents that you can that you can purchase. Um, and so to me, you can't possibly be a good father and and not be somehow involved constantly in in the lives of your children. You're, you're going to miss, um, like I said, Nick Cannon, five different baby mothers. We know for a fact, Mariah, she ain't involved in none of this mess. So Imagine being Mariah and just watching all this unfold on like a month to month basis. Like exactly. Oh, I just, you can't, you cannot be a good father and be in your children's lives the way you should be. It, I, I'm not even going to get into the fact that you've got, you know, this many children by this many different w women. That's, that's something different, but you can't be a good father and, and, and have kids just scattered all over the place. You're going to miss out on something. You're going to miss out on moments. You're going to miss out on events. And to me, that's extremely irresponsible. And the only person who ends up suffering in that situation is the child. I'm not sure why Nick Cannon feels the need to, um, to, to sire as many children as he has. I've heard some people saying that it's because of the autoimmune disease that he has, and he wants to make sure that he's got some type of donor or something. I just think it's extremely oh. irresponsible. Um, to not have some type of, of presence in your child's life. And I just don't think, um, you know, a Zoom call or or um, FaceTime is going to be enough. Well, I'm going to push back on uh, your notion of should be as far as fatherhood. Now, mm -hmm. I, is this are they going to miss events? Yeah, they're going to miss a lot of events. Um, are they going to be good fathers? I think is a is a more debatable topic because... Mm -hmm different kids, different people need different things. And uh, while some kids might be more motivated by uh, the example that their fathers are setting, uh, I mean, and that's, and that's a big sacrifice, you know, many successful people are, are making They're They're giving up time to their families. You know, we see uh, Will Smith is suffering the repercussions of his box office domination now uh, with his family. Um, take someone like Michael Jordan, idolized by billions of people um, probably didn't have the greatest dynamic with uh, his children while they were growing up. But I, I wonder if the kids have this like understanding and um, respect for him now. So I, I guess my bigger point is, would you be willing to sacrifice uh, what Elon Musk and Nick Cannon's contributions to society and culture are as a whole so that they could be there to bathe their children. Um, I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer, but I think there is obviously a sacrifice for greatness. And unfortunately, mm -hmm. it's usually the family that pays for it. But I right. don't know that we can say that they're going to be bad fathers um, because of that. You know, there's this great part of Glenn Gary Glenn Ross, where Alec Baldwin's character is like chewing out the other salesman and he's just telling them all, basically the only thing matters as a man is, you know, going out there and being a provider. And he's like, oh, you're a great father. Go home and play with your kid. You know, like. I it, So I guess my take on it is that it's not going to be the best situation as far as being present, but as far as being a father. And uh, being a good father, I think that's a little bit more open to interpretation than maybe you think. I think for me, um, 
once you become a parent, um, at least this is how I approach parenthood, um, your children should become the first priority, not whatever it is that you're giving to or trying to give or be to the world. Um, so for me, my first priority um, was always my children. Um, and these are individuals who, who have the ability to stop whatever it is they're doing for however many years, you know, 18, you know, people say 18, although you're a parent for a lifetime. Um, they don't have to worry about, you know, sacrificing and going to work and, 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 and the daily stress of life getting in the way. They have the ability to strictly be a father to their children. And instead of doing that with the one or two that they initially had, they just kept going and going and going and going. And I just, I truly believe just because you can afford to have that many children, does that mean that you should? Yeah, there you go with that word should again. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that you should be telling them what they should do. And, and you know what? Well, we no, don't it's just, even this, know that's just my opinion. Right. I'm just saying like, you can't. You're right. I, 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 I absolutely believe you cannot be a good father to that many children that aren't all in the same household. You and I both have children. We both have uh, uh, two sons. And um, it, it, even just juggling the, t the two children, I can remember one having an event here, one having an event there, trying to make it to one and then I'll be here for this and then go to this one. Definitely more difficult for me because I was a single parent. And so just trying to juggle the activities of two active sons was was a lot. So I can't imagine adding eight more kids into that mix. No. Right. <laughs> not but when they're I don't need help. to. And they're not under the help. guise of I'm trying to help populate the country. Like or or, or help populate the world. That's 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 bullshit. <laughs> well, the thing is, we don't know what's going to happen with their children. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, you're assuming that they're going to turn out the worst for it, and they could be. But, but I'm not saying they're also... going to turn out the worst, but I'm, I'm just saying to you, and I think I come at this from a perspective of um, because I'm a single parent and because I had to raise my children on my own, and I, and I see what the absence of a father, what that, what that brings to a child's life. I did hear one of Nick Cannon's, I don't even know which one it was, and I'm not even going to try to figure it out, <laughs> but I heard her during an interview say, you know, the, the children never wants for anything. If I ever need anything, I just contact Nick's assistant. <laughs> right. What? Okay. You contact right. his assistant? Come on. I know. So that's not great. But uh, again, these are powerful, very busy men the women knew that once they got into relationships with it. Absolutely. You know, these are, Absolutely. These are decisions. And I'm not actually also blaming just Nick Cannon and and um, and Elon Musk. Some of these women who are currently, you know, maybe we don't, you know, go after, you know, maybe the one or the one or two uh, baby mamas at the beginning. But once you're baby mother number five, you know what you're getting into. And you know the type of life that you're about to have for this child. And it's going to be one where the father is absent. Or at least not absent, but not there on a regular and consistent basis. And again, FaceTime and Zoom calls, that, that that's not the same thing. Yeah. That's and not the same thing as a father every day saying, oh, how was school? How You can't do that with 10 kids. But I don't think the father needs to be there every day either. I don't know. Neither one of us know the special sauce. And 
every person is different. So mm -hmm. what Jimmy needs from his father is going to be a lot different from what Michael needs from his father. So, or what, what Carrie and Angela need from their father. So we don't know the special sauce, but we're also brought up in a generation where we're helicopter parents now. Right. So we have to see what the ramifications of us, like, running behind our children and wiping their butts and not allowing them to scrape their knees and protecting them from other kids while the kids are uh, on the playground. We have to figure out, we don't know if that's actually going to be a, a better thing for the society going forward. Because right now you can make an argument that kids are, are so unprepared for not being liked and not being the center of attention that by the time they get to middle school and high school, it, it smacks them in the face because they don't have that socialization early on where you just let kind of the world and other children, you know, affect who they are as people. Like right now we're we're so heavy handed with uh, uh, child rearing. So I don't know that we've got the, the right balance yet. And uh, so I would say that the jury's out on this. I'm not going to judge Elon and Nick. Uh, I mean, no, they're not going to be present for their kids every day. But mm -hmm. I think even if they had one wife, and let's say they had one wife and seven kids by the same wife, these are guys that are so busy, they're not going to be home anyway. While and Out is in its, like, 500 season. <laughs> and there's other shows. And Elon Musk is sending people to space and trying to stop cars from blowing up. These and are busy, busy people. Exactly. Busy, busy people. Busy, busy, busy people. And you should have considered all of that. If you wanted to, you know, stay booked and busy, then don't go out here procreating all these kids with all these rando women. And why, especially. Why, why can't they do both? They got it. You, you can't do both. That's the thing. It, it is literally anyone who is a parent will tell you it is literally the hardest job. Whatever Elon Musk is doing, it's not harder than being a parent if he were present Chevalier, children. I Same thing parent. with Nick. No episode of Wilding Out is, is, is as difficult as the son that passed away from okay. whatever illness it was that he had. That's difficult. Parenting is difficult. Whatever you're doing on your TV show or trying to buy Twitter, that, that's, 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 that's not hard. Okay, you, you are gaslighting like a mother right now. <laughs> no. Life is difficult. Life is difficult. You're going to have challenges, whether they be with your family and out. And no, I've seen a lot of people around Walmart that are raising families that cannot run Tesla. So <laughs> parenting is not the hardest job in the world. I hate to break oh, it I to disagree. you. As a parent, it is very difficult. We have challenges. The type of parent you want to be, maybe you have a standard that you're trying to achieve that is difficult as well as balancing by just casting that, that wide net of, Parenting is the hardest job ever. No, it. it, it I just dis, I disagree. Hashtag. I, I, no, it nothing depends. I've done in life. Nothing I've done in life was as hard as being a parent. And maybe I feel that way because I had to do it all by myself and I had all of the responsibility. Um, but there, there's no television show that I've produced. There's nothing that I've worked on. Nothing has been as hard as as, as being a parent. I did we, paleo for a month, and as a foodie, oh, that was. <laughs> That was tough. I mean, I lost some weight, paleo. but I don't know that I ever want to try that again. So, Chevalry, your girl, Macy Gray, had a tough week. She she was labeled as uh, transphobic. Yes. Do you agree with that? You know, this is this is a very... Don't get very, fired. Okay. 
This is a very, very uh, difficult topic, and I express to you that, um, you know, I think it's it's hard for you and I as two heterosexual people to be discussing this topic because it's not something that affects us or it's not a community that we're, um, that we're a part of. Um, but you know, that we're, we're allies and that we support, but, um, let me just go over like what she said, and then maybe we can figure out what, what the question is. Um, it's actually a very, very long statement, but Macy Gray was on the Piers Morgan show, which is always controversial. And she said, I will say this and everyone's going to hate me, but as a woman, just because you go and change your parts, she meant body parts, doesn't make you a woman. Do I think that makes her transphobic? I don't, honestly, I don't know. I, I've been wrestling with this topic um, pretty much for two days. I, I just don't think that I have yet formed an opinion about it. And I don't know that I am even, not, I don't want to say qualified. I just don't know that I have. I did a ton of research. Um, I, I, I don't know that I can say whether or not she is or isn't transphobic. I think if the trans community says Macy Gray is transphobic, then Macy Gray is transphobic because that is how they, that is what they believe. Um, she has since apologized, um, a very, very lengthy, um, apology. And she sort of walked back everything that she said, said that she's a supporter of the trans and the LGBTQ plus community. Um, but I think if that community says, um, that she's transphobic, then, you know, then maybe she is and she, and, and maybe needs to, to learn some things, which is what she said she did. She learned, she talked to some people, um, from the community and, and they educated her on some things. And, um, yeah, I guess that's, that's how I feel about it. I don't, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm confused to be honest with you about whether or not she is, especially also after hearing, um, the video that I sent you from the comedian, um, Flame Monroe, who is a trans woman, um, but who supported Macy Gray. Um, so I guess it's not something that the community as a whole feels that she is, because I saw all of the comments from when he uh, made that statement. And there was a lot of support for what he said, which I also have here. Yeah, let's um, read that. That's important. As a trans woman, Flame yes. Monroe came out and Flame Macy Monroe, a comedian. He says said gender. this on behalf of Macy Gray. Yep. He, in response to her, um, he said he supported her and supported her opinion. And he said, gender is a fact. Identity is how you feel. And sexuality is your desire. Trans women are trans women. Trans men are trans men. Women are women. And men are men. Seems pretty, you know, easy to understand for me, mm -hmm. uh, especially when you pro approach it from as Flame Monroe, a scientific point of view. I mean, that's science. So um, it is I biology. think, yeah, I, I think what's important is that um, the trans community is supported in their efforts to feel safe, uh, be protected under the law. I think what- And to have should, equality. Yeah, and I, well, I, and the whole conversation started because Piers Morgan brought up the debate about trans women uh, facing uh, cisgendered women, biologically born women in sports. So mm. that's how this started. So I think equality is, is something that, you know, we're still trying to figure out, but I would just, I would just caution those activists and is it worth it to go after someone like Macy Gray? Uh, like, is, is she really transphobic? Is she really a threat? Like I've seen and heard people who truly are transphobic and we, we hear about trans women who are being killed by people who are 
definitely transphobic who, you know, fear what their being on this earth means to uh, sexuality of hetero men, you know? Um, So I think though, you know, I think it's important for those activists to really focus on trans people, transphobic people who are clearly putting their lives and their rights in danger. And I just wonder, is is Macy Gray the person you really need to attack? And, you know, is is doing something like that it is it's kind of it's beginning to look like what the me too the backlash of the me too movement looked like where you know you definitely had these like crazy offenders that were taken down by the me too movement but then after that you had you know people who may not have been offenders after all who were caught up in in that movement and i i, I just don't think that you know that's something that these activists are going to want when they look back on this, like, was it worth it to go after Macy Gray? Was, you know, was Macy Gray's intent to attack, uh, uh, to attack us? Or was Macy Gray saying as a woman, uh, biologically, we go through things, our bodies, and because of what our bodies are going through, we're treated a different way in society by men. And, you know, and we're grew up with this. I, I think the best part about it, she said something about, uh, becoming a woman is like an epic story, mm-hmm. you know, of all the things that, that you go through. Right. And I, I just wonder if the nuance is lost <clears throat> when, you know, we attack her with like Twitter uh, captions, like, oh, she's transphobic. And we just leave, mm-hmm. Macy Gray is transphobic. And we just leave it like that. Yeah, I think, I think the bigger question though is, is, is why is Piers Morgan asking a cisgender woman about a trans uh, a transgender issue. Like, why would we be talking to Macy Gray about that topic? I mean, it's a hot topic. Why not ask her? He's putting on a show. He got a good result. I mean, Piers Morgan, I mean, as like, a showman, is doing his job. But 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 why ask that of Macy Gray? Like, is she... I, I didn't understand why he was even talking to her about that topic. Like, if he had Laverne Cox, Janet Mock, MJ Rodriguez on his show, that would make sense. Those are but, transgender women who, who can speak to that question. Why would you ask that question to Macy Gray? But does Macy Gray <clears throat> not, is her opinion not valid because she's not transgender? I mean, certainly uh, well, transgender you, women athletes are going up, going against cisgendered uh, women in these competitions. So mm-hmm. wouldn't it be valid to ask a cisgendered woman, how do you feel about this competition? I think it would be valid to ask a, cis, a cisgender athlete. I think it would be valid to ask someone who is, is part of what the question is that you're asking. I, I, I don't understand, again, why he's asking a cisgender musician about transgender athletes and whether or not they should be competing. Like That, that conversation doesn't make sense to me. And, and you and I have, have talked about this. It would be equivalent to having a conversation about the black race and not including black people. We would be up in arms about that. We talk about that in the newsrooms all the time. Like, how did you have this story? And did you not ask any black people about this topic? So it's like, why? Why would you even discuss that with 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 Macy Gray of all people? <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense to me. No, also, that's fair. like, why is trans? Why is uh, Piers Morgan is just trying to be controversial? But he, you know, he, he has his own issues. Um, I did. I, I will say this. I did find one part of Flame Monroe's 
statement a little bit contradictory. Um, there's a second part where he, where he says, until you have the heart and mind of a woman, I don't believe that you can ever possibly be a biological woman. And I think transgender women would disagree. Like the reason why they are trans is because they feel like they do have the heart and mind of a woman. So I thought he was a little contradictory in that, in that part of his statement that he made to her. But he, she, Flame Rowe, she, is a sorry, transgender woman. So that's I know, what I'm saying. I know, it's like, I know. it's not, it's not one size fits all because right. you're, you just said that Flame Monroe's opinion doesn't matter when she's talking about what she feels as a transgender woman. You're saying no, I didn't say her opinion didn't matter. What other transgender woman would say? No, I didn't say Flame Monroe's opinion didn't matter. I'm just saying his that part of his statement seemed contradictory by saying that you know transgender or that you know until you have the heart and mind of a woman. But if you ask some transgender women, that that's why they're trans. They 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 may have been born one way, but they felt they they um, you know had the heart and mind of a woman. And 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 just you know her statement about just because you don't have the parts, it doesn't make you a woman. That's not how they feel. They don't have the parts, and they feel like they are a woman. Um, so I just I just found part of that to be a little bit you know of it her statement, excuse me, contradictory. Yeah. Well, I was going to push back again, but then I was just like, this is like religion. It's, there's no way no. to win an argument about there this. There is. But I, I did. My takeaway is that I would not die on a hill that Macy Gray is transphobic. <laughs> so let's kill her career and cancel her. I don't right. feel like that's useful. And you said uh, athletes, uh, well, you know, why is, is Piers Morgan asking a, a musician about athletic competition? Mm -hmm. Just so you know, there are some uh, great athletes uh, who are also musicians. Brian McKnight, little known fact, great basketball player, played briefly as professional in China. Mm -hmm. Sips tea. I, you know, uh, Damian Lillard is a great uh, rap artist. Great rapper. Right. <clears throat> uh, J. Cole. Just have live J. Cole is currently playing, I think, uh, in the G League, I think, J. Cole. Well, I don't know uh, if I would give J, J. Cole great, great athlete status. I mean, he made it to the G League now, I, I or whatever think, league he's playing in. However, I don't think it's the G all of those people we just named, um, Macy Gray isn't one of those people. So I'm not sure why we were asking her. I think a bigger question know. also is, um, you know, I reached out to a couple of my friends who are, you know, her in the LGBTQ plus community. And they kept saying this whole, you know, gender is a social construct. And basically that, you know, society decides what is uh male and female so if that's if that's true in terms of gender like then society can then change the things that are that are that are male and female what do you think oh you go you try to get me fired i'm not trying uh, to get you fired i'm just saying you know we, we 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 grew up with the whole boys were blue and girls were pink and 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 those, okay, that, those times have yes, changed. Those that, things have changed. So that, yes, is the The things that construct. make individuals male and female as our society changes and evolves. Those well, so things those, are changing as well. So those things associated with gender mm -hmm. may change. But mm -hmm. now you're asking me, do those make gender? No, I think uh, um, your anatomy is what makes gender. So, uh, but as far as like, do the things associated with what defines gender as far as uh, society, your likes, your dislikes, and the things that go along with it. Will that change? No, but I, 
you know, I think uh, what people like Macy Gray are saying is that uh, the biological factor is the starting point. Mm -hmm. All right. So what's the answer to the question? Is, is Macy Gray transphobic? No, it's ridiculous. Macy Gray is not transphobic. And Maybe she is just um, ignorant. She she probably is ignorant to quite a few things, but um, <laughs> if is she transphobic? I, I think that's probably uh, you know those resources, those Twitter fingers could have been better used in other places. This is the worst transition to tease out of ever, but stick around. <laughs> we still got Ebony Griffin our our interview. She's a GMA producer. She's an amazing person. Stick around for that. I just want to make sure you're reminded of that before we get into our next topic, which yes. is our twerking state senator. Twerking on a Those damn Macs. <laughs> Anyone named Mac, boy. They got, speaking of problematic, that would have been a better transition. We uh, Tierra Mac. Anybody named Mac, you know, there's going to be some tomfoolery. Tierra Mac was blasted for twerking, and uh, she's a state senator out of Rhode Island. She's only 28 years old, so keep that exactly. in mind. 28 years old. Um, she twerked on TikTok, upside down, wearing a thong. Working on a handstand. And then, and then <laughs> ended by reminding people, vote Senator Mack. So, right. And she's not apologizing for it. She has since gone on to say that she's bold and authentic. And, you know, and she says, I will not apologize for having enough cake to twerk. So there you have it. I mean, <laughs> is this is this just where we are as far as uh, is it an age gap? Is it this is just where we are as far as social media and its effect on our culture? Like. There is no private life. So if that's the case, should it be acceptable that Tierra is sharing some of her private time in a playful, fun way? And you should still respect that she has the ability to turn on the professional hat when she needs to. Or does this twerking on TikTok somehow discredit her as a uh, professional and as a leader? Your thoughts? Well, I, I, I think it's going to depend on, on who the individual voter is. Like you said, she's only 28 years old. So there are some people who will, because she twerked uh, on camera... Um, maybe she secured their vote. <laughs> and there are other people who will think that that was, um, you know, disrespectful or, or not representative of the office of state senator of Rhode Island, and, and maybe she will lose their vote. Um, but if anything, it's it's gotten her... I mean, did you know who uh, she was before the twerking video? I can't say that I know all of the state senators, um, but no, I've never of course heard of her I prior, no. to this, prior to this video. And so maybe it's opening um, or giving her an opportunity to have a platform where she can now, oh, you saw my twerking video, but also, um, you know, here's other things that I'm passionate about. She did say that, um, you know, that twerking video correlates to, in her mind, what's happening with SCOTUS and Roe v. Wade. Um, and that by twerking it, you know, it's, she's talking about, uh, bodily autonomy and that she has the right to do with her body what she wants. And okay, so, chivalry, I guess that, no, I want to know what you think she <laughs> should have done because you were very vocal. You, you should very, uh, quite a few times we'll talk about Elon and Nick. <laughs> so, and you dance around what should happen with Macy Gray and the LGBTQ and did I community. Dance so 
No, we're not going to leave it up to the voters. Of course, it's going to be up to the voters. But this is a, a state senator, not a U.S. senator. This is a state Correct. senator. She's very young. But no, what's that should energy? What's that chivalry? She should be doing this energy that you were giving Elon and Nick. <laughs> what should Tierra Mack do? I think she should try to get as many votes as possible. And if she thinks that she can do that by twerking, then all power to her. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Initially, my thought is, oh, my God, how unprofessional. But then I thought she's 28. She really doesn't know an adult life where uh, social media is not just intertwined with your, your everyday interactions. So that's a very good point. I am and, used to senators coming out with campaign ads that show people in um, you know, construction and doing all these different things. And, you know, I'm going to help you with jobs and, and maybe she will put out some videos that say all those things. It, it is also, um, important to point out that she is up for re-election. She's not, so she, she's already won an election. Um, she is now trying to get re-elected. I'm not sure if her opponent will use this maybe to his advantage, his or her advantage by showing, you know, this is what she's doing. But like you said, she's 28 years old. I would say the majority of her life, um, social media has been around and this is what people her age do. It's not, it's not the way that I would, I would try to get votes. It's not the way I would conduct myself at work. Um, you know, I think, and but hey, we keep in mind Donald Trump. Give me a promotion at my job, I might consider it. I don't know. <laughs> if Don, Donald Trump had a fat booty, maybe he would have twerked Ugh. on Twitter. You know what I mean? You just we just had a president who very successfully used social media to put himself out there repeatedly, unabashedly, and did not hurt his base at all. Right. So I just think that's where we are. It's it's sad, but. I think uh, the social media, it giveth and it taketh away. And I, I don't know that I would really like to have uh, one of my political leaders like that. But I also don't believe political leaders on a day-to-day -day basis, you know, weigh that much on my thoughts. So I think politics is essentially about popularity and mm -hmm. popularity and name recognition go hand in hand. I tell you what, I didn't know this woman's name before. I know it now. So <laughs> I think times have changed, you know, we've got a, or we had a president who talked about, you know, grabbing, grabbing women. I hate saying the P word, the P word and the N word. I hate saying that, but you know what I'm talking about? Grabbing women in their private areas. Um, times have changed, you know, but if you really, if you really sit and think about it, maybe times haven't changed. Cause if you remember, didn't Kennedy have an affair with Marilyn Monroe in the white house? Like, yeah, but it was not. Uh, we just quite didn't so know. Public. We just didn't know about these things, and that's that goes back to your point about social media. Like, we have access to politicians, to celebrities, to people that back in the day we wouldn't normally have access to. If I want to DM her right now, if she has an Instagram or a TikTok or whatever, I can do that. I can right. actually message her. Um, we have access to these people, and they have given us access. It's how a lot of people have become who they are. Just, insert Kardashians here. They are right. who they are because of, of, um, social media. So I just think times have changed and, you know, just need I agree. To, We're just need to so fast. We're so far past blurred lines. Like, you know, I reached out to my, uh, boss for, um, 
a job via social media and, and right. you know, they're liking my posts about what I did on the weekend. So they can see this, God forbid, you know, hopefully they, they love it and subscribe and, and don't, uh, you <laughs> know, flag like me for it. <laughs> so, I, I, yeah, I think that's just where we are. And um, I definitely want to, uh, when the election comes, I will, it will be interesting to see if she gets reelected. Um, mm. And it also makes me remember, do you remember in the 2020 campaign when the Atlanta strip clubs did the uh, get your booty to the polls? Do you remember right, that? Right, right. So Funded like, by it's, it's a just, pack by front, um, backed by Stacey Abrams, right? It was just smart, so it's just like, smart politics. A, it's Atlanta, they're known for strip clubs. So who, are, who better to get people to the polls than the girls from Magic City? <laughs> Mobilize Magic City booty and get people to the polls. I mean, it, it works. It's, so it's a different. It's a different time. To be honest with you, like I saw it when I first saw the video, I was just like, "Huh, okay." It's another girl twerking. I thought it's like, brilliant. I like this. It's brilliant. There you go. So, so we'll see if the the residents of Rhode Island agree. Yeah. Speaking of brilliant, this is a perfect time for us to queue up today's audacious interview. Uh, I had a great time doing it as a longtime colleague who has now gone on to do great things with Good Morning America. So check it out, Ebony Griffin. The late great coach Jim Valvano once said, every day we should laugh, think, and have our emotions move to tears. I hope to check at least two of those off your list today with this audacious interview. The Unmitigated Gall podcast goes one-on-one with a media personality who is making it happen. With me today is someone who is definitely making it happen. She's been working for the biggest news networks in the country for 15 years and is now a senior producer for Good Morning America, the number one morning news show in the country. A lady who embodies professionalism more than anyone I know. Let's see if I can get her to break character a little bit. Ebony Griffin, thank you for joining me. That was very sweet, and I will not be breaking character, Eric Olson, okay? I know, I know. Well, I'm happy you joined me. I know as long days, we were on a morning team together. You are on a different morning show. Um, I, I asked you, did you get up at two today, three? So tell me what your, before we go through your GMA day, let me read off this resume because it's impressive. This is a lady who graduated from IU, multiple internships. From there, she began working with Fox News. From there, she worked for CNN Headline News for 11 years. And and then she started, during a pandemic, to work for Good Morning America. So it's almost two years there, correct? Yeah, August will be two years. Wow. Well, so tell me what you're doing for GMA now. What are your duties? What's your day like? Yeah, so I recently transitioned into a new role for Good Morning America, where I will now be leading um, Robin Roberts' team managing a team of producers um, who put together content um, specifically for her and uh, with her um, platforms in mind. So that means that I am consistently looking for good stories, good series ideas, trying to figure out what people are talking about and how they can be bigger, um, how we can turn it into something that, you know, it's not just a story we cover and then move on, but maybe uh, something we revisit, something we surprise them with, a makeover we do, um, the Mm. GMA way. Everything in GMA is bigger, better. Um, You know, we try to go the extra mile. So we're always looking for those opportunities. Um, It's also 
in my view, what I hope will be a lot of mentoring of younger producers who, you know, um, are great but just want to figure out kind of how they maneuver and, and, and move around and learn and grow. Um, and then growth for me, right? This is um, with new jobs and new networks comes new challenges and new learning curves. Um, so for me, this is um, in my prior role with GMA, I wasn't managing a team. Now I am, so that's a growth um, factor. Um, and then working with the Robert Roberts, like, you know, exactly so better. It, it's really, um, I'm just thankful and excited and, and uh, feel very grateful to have the opportunity. I mean, Robert Roberts is definitely one of the most iconic people in news. I mean, just working with her, I, I just imagine, you know, it not only is an honor, but she seems like someone who's giving you the same respect that you give her. I don't know her, but this is just my impression. I love that you have that read of her. I had uh, breakfast with her the other day, and I literally was like, you are having breakfast with Robert Roberts. Like, it really is one of those stunning moments. Stunning on them. But she is, she is literally as lovely as you would expect her to be, as passionate as you expect her to be. Um, and so, like, you know, she is among the greats, and I count them on one hand of, you know, people that, you know, sometimes you meet, you have this vision of people, and then you meet them in real life, and you're like, mm, that ruined my idea of what they were yeah. supposed to be. She's one of those people. She is lovely, lovely, and I just um, feel very grateful that she would have me on her team, leading her team. Now, for you, it wasn't always mimosas with Robin Roberts. Uh you know, you, you've had, you pulled yourself up by the bootstraps and you really, I mean, not to blow smoke, but you have like an American success story. So for those who didn't work with you, tell, tell a little people about your struggles in starting from, you know, high school to where you are now. Uh, you know, that is a little smoke, Eric. I don't think I'm any different than the majority of people in this country, to be honest with you. Um, I, you know, I had my daughter when I was 17 years old. I was um, in a small town, Kokomo, Indiana, um, about an hour north of Indianapolis. Um, at the time I had her, I was, you know, president of my senior class. I was president of every organization and club. And, you know, I was told by a lot of people that your life is over. You, um, you know, you're done. Whatever you thought you were going to do, you, now your focus is this child and, and give that up. Um, but thankfully, I knew better. Um, and I had a very supportive family and lots of supportive friends that rallied around me and made sure I went to college. Um, and and it, it, there was never a question if I was going to college, but they supported the journey. They babysat, they they provided, they did what needed to be done to make sure that I don't not only went to college but thrived at college, um, was able to have the opportunities that I had in college, interning, um, and then the, the jobs that followed that. Um, but, you know, I'm not extraordinary. There are hundreds of girls across this country that have babies every day. Um, but thankfully, I had the support system and I had the passion and the determination to know I was not meant for a small town. My dreams were much bigger than the, the city that I grew up in. Um, and I knew that I was I needed a way out and I, I saw my path very clearly. Um, and that may be where I differentiate from others. Um, was that I've always had goals, very clear goals, and, and whatever it took. Um, so that meant that my daughter had to come along for the ride. Um, but regardless, we were going to get to, to uh, where we were going. Well, shame on those people who t 
told a teenage girl that her life is over. Shame on those people. Kudos to you for proving them wrong. And, you know, I know, and also kudos to your family supporting you, but you paid them back because you made it worth it. Because not only did you, you know, you go to college, but you pledged a, you know, you pledged a sorority. You you were very much involved in the, in the school. You, you did internships, then you went on, you know, throughout your career. So kudos to that. One of the things that I admire about you, um, like I said, your professionalism. Um, you know, it is hard to trip Ebony up. You know, she's, I feel like you got your head on the swivel. You're very much aware of the room and the moment. And one of those moments in those rooms that I say you've always owned is the pitch meeting. And the pitch meeting for those not in news or television is really kind of where you can establish yourself and really set yourself up to move up uh, within that company. Um, and I've always been, you know, in my mind, I have all my ideas are brilliant, but they may not translate when I try to pitch them. You, on the other hand, I've never really seen you pitch something and it not get green lit in a team meeting. So talk to us about the mastery of the pitch meeting. That might be a little um, a little flattery, Eric. I'm sure I've had ideas that are not green lit, but. I will, <laughs> I will say what I tried to remember always in this business, and when, when I wanted to be a journalist, when I was thinking back about it, I thought about growing up in the middle of this country as a, as a brown girl and the stories that I didn't see, right, and the voices that were not heard, um, the people that were not represented on the news. And so I always try to remember that as I'm thinking about what stories I want to cover, what things matter, what people are really talking about. For example, right now, you know, there, there are a few things that are on top of everybody's mind. Travel and what a mess it is, where they can go for cheap, can they get there, you know, how expensive is it going to be. Their budgets, groceries are more expensive, rent is out of control, the cost of everything is skyrocketing, but their salaries are not. I always try to stay in tune with what people feel and think and care about. And then from there, you know, you can make great TV out of out of anything, right? If you're always thinking about your viewer and what people actually are into, right? So celebrity stories are easy. You know, you can throw a surprise on the air, but if you can really like tell a story that hits at the heart of what people are feeling and going through and experiencing, they'll watch. And so that's what I try to keep in mind as I, as I pitch stories. The other part of it is, you know, if you don't believe in something, you can't expect your viewer or your audience of pit of fellow producers or executive producers to believe in it either. So I, I try to make sure that I'm read in. Um, I read a lot of different things, you know, to see kind of what people are talking about, what the story actually is, like what's different, what's unique about it. I mean, the gas price story has been told 8,000 times, 8,000 different ways, but like what's a new way at it or what's a new way to compare what an average family of four that has to drive a kid to camp every day is paying for gas versus in Indiana versus in Florida versus in California. You know, like what, what, how can you do it in a different way? Um, so, so that's it. Confidence, right? Even if you don't know or you don't really know, think you know, it's all about how you portray it, right? If I tell you that something is really compelling and I have my facts in order and I have identified characters that we could profile and I, I have a, a passion for it, you're more likely to bite 
then if I'm just like, yeah, I don't know, maybe we should talk about, I was thinking, I saw a headline, that's not a pitch. Right, <laughs> right. Thought out, you know, we should do this story because X, Y, and Z. Ideally, we talk to someone who has X. Um, we need an expert to say X. Um, that's, you know, you want to you wanna bring that level of preparedness and research with you when you're pitching. Right. And that way your executive producer was like, well, she, she said it was compelling and everyone was talking about it. I don't want to be the only one that, you know, doesn't get it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Right. Well, so the main takeaway from that I get from that is, you know, not only confidence, but being prepared. And a lot of uh, what we do comes down to uh, the storytelling aspect is organizing from your thoughts to organizing how it's going to play out visually so, but I mean, organization is so much about what you do on a, on a daily basis. So talk about time management as far as organization and just how your day is scheduled. It's got to be pretty rigorous. Yeah. So, you know, I'm kind of just new in this role. So I'm, I'm really actually revamping some of the processes in terms of like, you know, how things move from pitch to approve, to edit, to to, you know, senior approved, to talent approved, to, you know, air date scheduled. Um, so I am a believer in spreadsheets and Google Docs and grids because it's all about collaboration. Like, I don't do anything alone. I have a team of people that I'm always working with, whether it's a producer, a booker, a talent, correspondent. Um, there's always a team involved. Um, so part of the, the biggest thing is, is that collaboration and communication about what is expected. Um, you know, what our goal is for this story, um, you know, what needs to be done, where we are with it, you know, what are the, the boxes that we still need to check? Do we need statements from people for making accusations or people are making accusations? Do we need, um, do we need to up the ante? Does it feel big enough? Does it feel, um, if I live, if I'm telling a story about something in New York, why would I care in Minnesota? Does it feel like it has national impact or is it big enough that people care? Um, you know, what are, what are the, the angles that we're covering? So, so a big part of my day is collaboration, making sure people are on the same page with what, what is expected, what is the outcome, and when does it need to be accomplished by. Um, the other part of that is really sometimes as producers, we have to pull ourselves away from the news of the day and really just think bigger picture. So that's a lot of what I'm doing now is like, we know the story right now. It's about the Supreme Court, abortion rights, all that's to come in politics. Um, it's about inflation. Yep. It's about travel. It's about Brittany Griner. You know, we can name the news stories of the day. But next week or next month when there's a lull in the news cycle, then what are we going to do? What what keeps us at number one? What makes us feel special? So that's a lot of where I'm trying to concentrate my time is um, looking ahead, planning, which, you know, has always been my jam, um, and thinking about, you know, what are the things coming down pike that we could get ahead on? What what series can we start thinking about? Um, you know, where, are, where we should be uh, putting our eggs and, and, and um, placing those baskets. So that right now is a lot of my day. That's very different than when I was in a day-to-day -day news cycle. You know, when you're on the day-to-day -day news wheel, it really is just trying to keep up, right? It, the, the abortion story, for example, as the protests break out, as the lawmakers speak out, as this one says something that needs to be fact-checked, as somebody from the other side says something that has to be fact-checked, from the real people who are impacted by it, the women who were on tables on Friday and their doctors had to pause and say, mm, can we proceed? You know, so... so those stories. Wow. 
I hadn't even yeah, thought about that. There were, uh, ABC News has reporting that there were crazy. doctors that were actually in the middle of procedures and had administered medicine and had to pause to say, you know, what can we do? So just, you know, you want to present. It's not to take a side. It's not to, because our job as journalists is not to, to advocate, but it's to present the story. And that's part of the story is the women who are affected, who we know from the research and from statistics are, are typically um, poor women, women of color, um, women who typically, um, you know, are lower income. Um, so, so presenting all sides of the issue, and, and, and that's something that I think we do very well and I take great pride in. It's just we're not just regurgitating headlines. We're actually doing the reporting, making the calls, finding the characters um, to bring a story that is so weighty, like abortion, um, to life and help you see it from maybe another perspective that you wouldn't have seen it from. Abortion, definitely a tough story. I want to talk a little bit about maybe just tough moments because, you know, we talked about your your ascension and, you know, how you're doing great now. But, you know, this is a, a, a challenging business, not just the hours, um, but there, there's personalities. There's, you know, there's other things that people don't think about. Sometimes it's personally, uh, you know, it affects you personally and emotionally. Can you think of like a moment in your career where it was just it was this was just a tough day? I don't know if I want to go back in. Um, so two things jump out at me. One, so you mentioned I started my career at Fox News. Um, that was a great place to work in that it gave me a good sense of the type of journalist that I wanted to be and also the type of journalist that I did not want to be. Um, I worked under Shepard Smith, who was a great and brilliant journalist and still is now that he's at CNBC. Um, but that environment was very tough, and it was during the time that um, President Obama um, was running for election the first time. So it was the Jeremiah Wright uh, tapes. It was all of that, um, and that was a time that was just very emotionally draining because you felt found yourself constantly being the black person in the room speaking up saying eh, i don't know if we have to do this not necessarily for shepherd's show but just as a network like why are we saying this on this show or should that chiron should not say obama's baby mama for michelle like this is why that's offensive you know like it things like that yeah that became very draining um i'm thankful for that experience because on the show i mean shepherd was one of the the only journalist who was straight down the middle, so it was an, an interesting environment to work in. But it, it also helped me sharpen my voice around editorial and about coverage and about the angle we should be taking. And it exposed, like, why it's so important for us to ascend the ladder, because when you look around those offices, if, it, if they don't look like us and they're not thinking like us, that's how things like that happen on air. Um, so that was one. The, the second worst day I would say I ever had in TV was Sandy Hook after the shooting of, of after that shooting. Um, that oh. was probably the first time I ever cried in a newsroom. But just, you know, as journalists, we see things that, that the viewers don't, right? So as we're combing through footage and hearing stories that most people will never hear, things that are just too heartbreaking to share, um, we're human too, right? We have families, we have children. Um, so so that was probably one of the most helpless emotional days as a journalist. Um, 
But let me give you your props, though, because we were both at HLN at the time. And I remember that. I remember, I think we were in that kind of same new digital uh, newsroom at the time. And I, and I remember it breaking. And I wasn't really, I didn't know you when working with you at that point. But I remember you sending out information about leads on the suspects that you were just finding through um, social media. So even during that tough period, you know, a good journalist, uh, you know, someone who's in this business is going to really focus in on what's next, what information don't we know and what should we be finding out? So, um, no, you know, I, had to I mean, on that's, that. that's my job, right? So, I mean, you could argue this applies to any number of shootings since then, which is really just horrible to say. But in those moments, you feel helpless. You feel for those parents. You feel for those teachers and those poor babies who were helpless in that school. So you want to do anything. Um, and journalism is our, you know, our activism in a way, right? Our job is to tell the stories and to report them accurately and to give people information. Um, and in desperate times like that, that's what people want. So, you know, that, that I think forever will be one of the hardest moments in the newsroom that I experienced. Well, Ebony, I'm not going to let you come on here. We're just going to, you know, be sad today. We're going to have some good stories and uh you know you talked about planning and we're talking about memories so let's talk about some good ones and uh being that you're one of the planning gurus i cannot look at a bottle of tums or attend the tailgate ever again in my life <laughs> thanks to you and your baby franchise tums tailgate i'm sure the same goes for koi wire i mean i'm assuming that is one of your favorite moments uh working for cnn headliners yeah, I mean, listen, I loved my time at HLN. I, you know, I I had, I was there for 11 years and had, what, three promotions in that time? Um, but the thing that was great about HLN for me was I was really allowed to, like, find my niche. And Tums was one of them. Like, the special events, I did so many cool things for, for HLN. Um, Tums was just one of them. And that was traveling around the country, essentially finding um, chefs, and, and uh, tailgaters to profile um, while taking in these amazing amazing college football matchups, attending um, you know college football championships, and I went to I'm the so Super Bowl jealous. for HLN, and I went so to Final Four for HLN. Um, I even somehow convinced them to let me plan a vow renewal in Aruba for HLN. Like I, I had so much fun at HLN, um, and it was hard work. And you know, in the, in the in it, I was probably cussing and, and mad and hating everybody. But when I look back on my time there, I really was allowed to do some really cool things with not a lot of resources, and you know. And they were great, you know. Um, so I am. I, I look back on that time like I miss Tom. I miss Tom. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure Koi <laughs> hits you up every now and then to check in. I mean, because that was just a, a great franchise. Um, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk about was you. You're an adjunct professor. When I remember when you were kind of putting out your feelers, and then you just popped up like, "Hey, I'm doing this." Talk to me about why. Why would you want to give up your valuable free time teaching these knuckleheads out here? Child, I don't know. Um, so, you know, part of me has always been like, hmm, maybe I could be interested in teaching. So so here's the, the dirty secret about me. I'm always kind of looking ahead to, like, what's next. Like, what's, I get bored easy. Like, I, I need something to, like, keep me excited, keep me going. Um, and I've always mentored. I've all, Even at HLN, I was 
hiring the interns and you know I've always done that so that's always been in my blood and I believe in it deeply um, and so to me teaching was a way to kind of up that ante right to dip my toe into the college world and see if I could like it um, the other reason I, I wanted to try it was because I'm constantly getting requests from journalism professors or, you know, NABJ chapters across the country for, you know, collegiate chapters. Can you come speak to us? Can you do this? Can you do this panel? Can you Zoom? Especially during the Zoom era, it made it so much easier. Um, even my own college has had me back a few times to talk to the J school students. And so I was like, oh, maybe there's something here. Um, that's worth exploring and that has been kind of the the way of my life is that sometimes there's just like little arrows that point me in directions and I just follow them where they go so and that's kind of how the adjunct thing worked out I posted on my Facebook asking like hey I think I'm gonna try this does anybody know somebody um, and a friend threw my name out lots of people threw my name out in different circles some of them didn't work out just in terms of the opportunities and the availability um, but one girl in particular who we worked with previously mentioned my name and her alumni circles and within days I got a call back like absolutely what do you want to do how can it work and, and the rest is history um, so I, again it's another opportunity I'm thankful for it to have it keeps me um, motivated and hopeful um, in this you know news cycle it's easy to like be downtrodden to be beat up on you know but when you see these kids who are excited um, and eager and hungry and you can pour a little bit into them um, that is refreshing for me um, and so I wanted to try it I'm gonna do it this year this fall again um, and I just feel like you know I do believe in service I believe that so many people have poured into me even when they didn't want to when they were tired when they were busy they took my calls they gave advice they did what what needed to be done and so if I can do that for students and get paid for it, like I'm the lucky one. Like this is not like I'm just volunteering. Like this is for a check. So, you know, I, nice. I fortunate. <laughs> yeah. I, I would volunteer and I do volunteer, but I mean, you know, I don't I, it's not cry for me because this is this is just another great opportunity. Well, we're running down on time, uh, but I couldn't let you get out of here without, like I said, trying to push you out of your professionalism just a little bit. And it's TV. I want to know what are some of the guilty pleasures as far as TV? What are you watching that, uh, you know, what I'm thinking P Valley. P Valley is coming to mind. What, what, is, what is Ebony Griffin watching? That's a guilty pleasure. Uh, my daughter is, but so she's like, you need to watch it. You need to watch it. I have not watched P Valley. You know what? Here's the here's the sad reality. Okay. Because I produce TV and I'm in TV all day for work, like it's hard for me to watch it in my free time. You know what I'm saying? Like if I have the TV on, it's something mind numbing. Like. Not reality TV because I cannot stand the fighting and the bickering and the you know the the stereotypical depictions. So I can't go that route. But yep. um, it's it's gonna be something so lame like uh, HGTV or a uh, Discovery Channel with some animals or something. I can see that. So numbing that it's like it requires no thought, no producing, no nothing. Sorry to disappoint you. I, I can see a, I can see you watching Love It or List It. I can see that. So that. <laughs> That doesn't surprise me so much. 
And how are these teachers buying these houses? I don't know. Anyway, that's another discussion for another time. He makes 40000 and they're buying a seven-bedroom house in California. Yeah. Anyway. How, Sway? How? <laughs> but anyway, Ebony, again, I appreciate you coming on. I know you're worried that I was going to act up, and I've been on my best behavior just for you. I appreciate your time. And I wish you much success in the future. So, Ebony Griffin, thank you. Thank you, and congratulations on your new podcast. And I'll be back um, in the second season, and we'll get into more of the fun Q&A. <laughs> nice. Everyone, follow her on TV Ebony, Ebony right? Ebony on Instagram and Ebony Griffin on Facebook. All right. Well, that's it. Today's audacious interview, Ebony Griffin. All right, Chevalry, my favorite part of the show, recommendations <laughs> and invitations. Yes. Can I start with my recommendation? Yes, since I since I stole yours last week. Yeah. You go, you yeah, go first. <laughs> yeah. uh, the Old Man on FX and Hulu it's, uh, stars Jeff Bridges, and he's basically this um, unassuming old man mm-hmm. who turns out to be like this world-class spy killer. Uh, whose life, uh, whose whose past is is coming back to uh, haunt him. So I don't want to spoil it. I, I think it's in episode five right now, um, okay. but it's it's good. It's good. So I know you're not going to watch it. You have a lot to do. You still I have just... a lot of other bigger shows that you have not watched. So to yes, people out there watching who aren't Chevalry, check out <laughs> the old man if you get a chance. I just can you recommend something that doesn't require me to like have to sit down and watch something like I tell you what I didn't watch who uh, a lot of people are I recommend that you don't watch Dave Chappelle's new stand up special oh. because you know for a long time I've been backing Chappelle right he, uh-huh. he is one of the great iconic uh, comedians of our times but he has not put out a funny stand up special in years uh, he's put out controversial ones but I feel like he's not doing the main job. Make us laugh. Like yeah. he's become preachy, not funny. His his you know social commentary used to be woven into jokes, but now he's like he's like standing there preaching to the crowd, like literally uh, hunched over, telling people that they're shitty oh, like in Bill the Cosby? crowd. Yeah, but but not even because Bill Cosby once he would go on stage, he'd focus on jokes. Dave Chappelle okay. is actually preaching while on stage and he's just coming off like a bitter old man and you know I, I i keep watching these specials because i'm like you know he's Chappelle, it's gonna be funny but they haven't been funny so i'm just over it. so i'm recommending you don't watch um dave Chappelle's <laughs> new special because what's the point right now what's the point i i recommend you find some younger comedians who are out there who are still trying to be funny because right now, Dave Chappelle is coasting on his name. He tells you, I'm rich. I'm an icon. I'm the best to ever do it. He, he, he mm. literally says this on stage. And I'm just like, bro, that's not jokes. So um, that's my recommendation. So put the old man on pause. But I tell you what, you can skip Dave Chappelle. That's what I'm going to do. Okay. Or I wasn't going to watch it anyway, but okay. I'll take your advice. <laughs> I wasn't watching that <laughs> shit. No way. <laughs> All right. So my recommendation this week um is uh the mixtape tour had you heard about it girl new kids on the block yes so um my sister 
um, I did not know this until I went to the concert. They call themselves blockheads. <laughs> and oh I think God. maybe now I'm an official blockhead because um, my, my sister and I, we go to lots of concerts. She's my concert buddy. We've been going to concerts um, since I think our first concert was um, was a new edition, actually. We were visiting our, my grandmother in Anniston, Alabama. We went to a new edition concert at Six Flags here in Atlanta. Um, the ticket was six dollars. <laughs> Gotta love that. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I still have it. It's amazing. Um, and um, so that's my concert buddy. And I have dragged Siobhan to an endless number of Jay Z concerts, who is my favorite rapper and also the greatest of all time. You can fight me later. Um, but so when she said, you know, new kids on the block is coming, I was like, Ugh, okay, fine. Um, because I've dragged you to so many other shows, I'll, I'll take you to this one. Um, and it ended up being, I, I had an amazing time. I had so much fun at that concert. And it was because in addition to new kids, it was also salt and Peppa, in Vogue and Rick Astley and the production of the show, you know, how normally you go to a show and there's like the headliner and there's a bunch of opening acts and, you know, one act will go on, they'll do all their songs. Second act will come on. And that's what happened when I went and saw Joe to see Charlie Wilson in, in, in new edition recently um, at the beginning of the year. Jodeci was first and then Charlie Wilson and then New Edition. But this show, the show started and New Kids Up came out. And I was like, wait, why are they why are they out first? That's so weird. Like they're the headliner. But they interspersed the different acts all throughout the show. There were two different stages. And it was just a really, really well put together um performance. Um I love all those songs from like the eighties and nineties. I got to see In Vogue and Salt and Peppa perform What a Man together. Um, so if the mixtape tour is in your city, I highly recommend like everything from the production, even the like throwback eighties graphics. Like it was just, it was a really, really well put together show. And I also know more new kids on the block songs than I realized. Two questions. Um, two questions. Was Dawn <laughs> from In Vogue there? Uh, no, no, oh. this is not the original. This is, um, Wait, Dawn from Ing oh, She had like the like the, the Was she the one that did the lower the, eyes and she did the spin-off group L Lucy Pearl? No, 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 no. No, she, she was, was not there. there. And there's actually three members of En Vogue, but one of them is not one of the original. So it's only two original members. Oh, what a gif. But it's still but they still sound amazing. And also I don't know how old the women are from En Vogue, but they look incredible. They looked amazing. So that is not actually, surprising. Everyone actually really looked good. Um, Jordan Knight and Donnie Wahlberg, um, at any opportunity, made sure to take off their shirts. And I am pretty sure they're older than me, so they've got to be in their fifties. And and to be in their fifties, you know, the brothers out here that I'm trying that I'm seeing, I'm like, they don't look like that. <laughs> well, there's there's things called supplements good. and no, okay, um, okay. Um, also. What's your favorite New Kids on the Block song? I would Ooh. say Step by Step. But that's really the only one that I can name right now. So, Yeah, I w it's either going to be, uh, oh, I don't know, because now there's so many. It's either Step by Step or The Right Stuff. Oh, The Right Stuff. But then stuff. when Joey came out and sang, Please Don't Go, Girl, and, then they, and, and this is why the production was so good, was because they would sometimes play the videos on this big screen um, that was above them. So to see, like, little Joey McIntyre, like, it was just, yeah, I don't know. It's either The Right Stuff or um, Step by Step. Nice. It was a great show. Go see it. 
right. Invitation. Had a great time. Yes. Tierra Mac. I would love to talk to Tierra oh. Mac. Um, okay. Just to get campaign updates. Where is she polling now? <laughs> Has she talked to her constituents? Is you is, is or is you ain't my constituents. I just want to know, uh, you know, is how the, the twerking people are working? Is, is the twerking ooh, working? Damn, I need that t-shirt. You like that? I love that. Is the tw- or the twerking is working? Like, yeah. Oh, did you just put yourself on her staff? I think that's what happened. <laughs> Who's your invitation? You know what? I've seen her. I've seen her on some other podcasts. So we should we should definitely reach out. Yeah. Have for you sure. heard the name Sandra Douglas Morgan? No, it sounded like a lawyer. Like you. She is a lawyer, actually. Oh. She's also now the first black female president of a sports team in the NFL. The Raiders. Gotcha. The Raiders. The Raiders. My- <laughs> your, third, my your third football team. Oh, my God. Absolutely not. <laughs> so, I, I, I mean,. She has like a dream job to me. Like she's working. If anyone knows me, um, they know that the NFL is football is my favorite sport of, of all sports. Um, as we mentioned earlier, um, a fan of the Dallas Cowboys. But you know, it's 2022. The NFL is just getting its first black female president of a sports team. I would love to sit down and, and, and talk with her. And she um, looks so young and good. Like I don't. Yeah, I'm she's sure she's 40, taking care 44. of herself. Uh, yeah. You know, black don't crack. Uh, <laughs> I mean, she definitely got the water lotion diet, you know, regimen going. But uh, I was like, for for her to be the president of an NFL franchise, this is a very driven um, woman. Like, this is someone who is not twerking on her hand <laughs> on her handstand because the politics that she had to navigate to mm-hmm. ascend to that spot, not only as a woman but as a black woman, she yeah. had to basically be flawless. So, uh, salute to her. Yeah. If you look at her background, um, look at all she did before getting this position. Yeah. She's extremely accomplished. Wow. So, yeah. I would love to talk to her and, and, uh, and to your, <laughs> I love, yeah. I love our invitation to say two, two sisters. So, yeah. and but, on different, different, you know, different say, ends of different, the twerking spectrum. Different ends of the spectrum. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, uh. But again, that could be an age thing. Had you know, um, there you go. Uh, had your NFL president come up a little later, we might have videos of her out there too. So hey, maybe maybe the next couple will. Speaking for sure, of- for sure, the Atlanta, uh, the Atlanta president of the uh, or the president of the Atlanta Falcons will for sure have some twerking videos. Uh, don't you do it, Rich McKay. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like and subscribe. Again, YouTube, Spotify, we're going to attempt to join Google and Apple a little later on. But right now, listen to us on Spotify, YouTube, like, subscribe, tell somebody about it. And uh, we just want to thank you all for joining the Unmitigated Gosh. Valerie, isn't that the case? Yeah. Like, subscribe, follow. We'll see you all every Wednesday. Every Wednesday. See you all next Wednesday. Wednesday. Bye. See you, Mm -hmm. Valerie. Bye. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha.